ATM attacks, such as cash outs and skimming schemes, have been around for more than a decade. But as fraudsters enhance their skills and techniques, these attacks have become increasingly daunting for the industry to battle. And as we enter 2014, we'll have a whole new set of challenges to overcome, such as Microsoft's dropping of support for Windows XP, a commonly used operating system among banking institutions. Here, Chuck Summers, who's retiring from leading ATM manufacturer Diebold at the end of this year, shares his thoughts about what the industry can expect in the ways of ATM fraud. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Chuck, as I mentioned, ATM fraud has continued to evolve over the course of the last decade. Of course, you've been with Diebold for nearly 30 years. How has ATM fraud evolved over the course of your career? Excellent question, Tracy. Thanks for asking. What we've seen over the past decade is really a change from more of the physical attacks, uh, where it was an individual uh, who was attacking the machine, into trapping attacks, where it was still an individual type of a crime, whether it was a card or whether it was cash trapping, up through skimming attacks, which have become increasingly sophisticated, up through uh, the recent logical attacks that we've seen. We've seen crimes change from regional crimes to international or organized crimes. We've seen regional criminals who used to do everything themselves change into more of a disaggregated criminal ecosystem with centers of excellence. And I think that if you just Google ATM skimmers today, you'll find uh, what I did for sale today, about 71,000 hits, or the number of places where you can buy them. And then criminal investment in technology, intelligence, and networking. So I think that we've seen really the growth of an industry, the growth of a criminal network uh, to be able to take advantage of that. And they are basically targeting financial institutions, customer data, and cash. So Chuck, what same security gaps and challenges does the financial services industry continue to face where ATM risks are concerned? When I speak with financial institutions, one of the recurring themes that comes up is our ability to have information sharing on attacks, vulnerabilities, and mitigation strategies across vendors, across institutions, and across geographies. And when I say that, what I mean is that criminals know more than we do. We compete with each other on a lot of levels, financial institutions with financial institutions, vendors and suppliers with vendors and suppliers. So a lot of us have pieces of the information. And so one of the challenges that we face, I think, is, is getting a more broad way to be able to share information. And then inside financial institutions, the prioritizing and risk losses to ensure that adequate risk coverage has been met. So again, the internals inside financial institutions to ensure that the retail branch and the retail side of it and the fraud and risk side of it are aligned. And then what about emerging software vulnerabilities? For instance, Microsoft is dropping its support of Windows XP. What types of challenges do you see there? Well, that's a good question. And we're, we're facing that imminently as, as, you know, as we approach uh, April 2014. To the best of my knowledge, the vulnerabilities attacked to date did not exploit a Windows vulnerability as a means of penetrating the defense and installing the malware. In other words, it was not through a known vulnerability that this malware has been introduced into the system. Sadly, most of the documented malware occurrences have been due to lack of adequate controls, access to the device, default passwords, insecure key installations, you know, running older non-PCI-PA DSS compliant versions of software. Patching the OS, uh, one of the tenets of PCI compliance must be viewed along with the remainder of the PCI requirements as financial institutions come under increasing scrutiny from within and from PCI. If not upgrading to Windows 7, the mitigating controls must be part of the plan. And finally, to the best of my knowledge, the installation of malware has not been network-borne. Uh, not that criminals don't understand the technology, they just haven't had to use that installation method yet. Chuck, what lessons did the industry learn when IBM dropped its support of OS2? You know, I've been here long enough to have seen the, um, <laughs> the, the, the birth and then the subsequent uh, departure of OS2 within the ATM industry. 
largely as time went on, the biggest lesson is that when an operating system is removed from support, the technology stays stagnant. Vendors can't release new devices with OS2 support. Processor boards, hard drives, common essential elements are no longer created, and that support, the, you know, the older the operating system gets, uh, the less and less support we can have out there. The simplest way to say is that it takes a snapshot of where it is, and it stays there. Screen content can be updated. Security devices that are non-connected can be added, but it stays where it is. Now, here's the interesting thing, I think, on the difference between OS2 and Windows. OS2 largely escaped the criminal hackers. Now, Windows has not, beginning with Windows and then going to NT, XP, are attacked by hackers. And so, therefore, as OS2 was sunsetted and stayed there, uh, I don't think that we saw you know, an increasing attack on the OS2 systems, whereas as this goes on and the vulnerabilities in the older systems, the XP systems are known, we may see them be exploited more frequently or more than has happened so now. So I really do think that's the significant difference between the Windows, the Windows migration and the OS2. Now shifting gears a bit, I wanted to ask a bit about the migration to EMV. Chuck, do you think that we can expect to see upticks in skimming attacks as the U.S. initiates this migration to a stronger card technology? Well, um, whenever we talk about skimming, I go back to a drawing, which I know that you've seen before, Tracy, that we did, which is we refer to as a chain of trust and the various ways with which um, cards are skimmed or credentials are stolen. When we talk about skimming, we talk about it in really two different steps. One of them is the theft of the credentials, and the other one is the, then the redemption of the fraudulent cards. So when countries have adopted EMV, and we're going to assume that the U.S. as it moves through its adoption will follow a similar path as Europe, as Canada, as Mexico is going through right now. The continued presence of MagStripe data on a chip card leads the same skimming opportunities to criminals. Uh, what we saw in Europe, for example, was when they went to chip card, they still play skimmers on machines, they still stole the track data, they just redeemed them someplace else. So when they get redeemed, they get pushed to non-EMV countries. And right now, U.S. is one of those countries where a significant amount of this fraudulent redemption occurs. The shift in liability from the issuer to the acquirer uh, for an EMV card will offer incentives for the adoption of EMV. Given the fact that there is no global regulatory measure for EMV, it will largely be as a result of the fraud and the losses that are going to drive institutions to be able to make this decision. So I don't expect an uptick in the skimming or the redemption as we adopt EMV. The points of redemption without EMV readers will see increasing fraudulent activity. How prepared are banking institutions and independent ATM deployers, Chuck, in the U.S. for this rollout to EMV? Based on the surveys I've seen, the amount of preparedness spans the gamut from no plans whatsoever to beginning to plan to actively planning to actively deploying to fully deployed. I have no data on the independent ATM deployer state of readiness. Uh, that will be an interesting scenario. Since independent ATM deployers are not issuer of cards, Today, they bear no financial losses either from the theft of credentials nor from the redemption of stolen credentials on their terminals. The liability shift will be the financial incentive for their investment in EMV. Talking about off-premises ATMs or those that are oftentimes operated by independent ATM deployers, we do hear a great deal about the vulnerabilities being greater in the off-premises space than the on-premises space, which is ATMs that are actually deployed at a branch. What seems to be the greatest worry, Chuck? Is it outdated software or lacking detection systems, or is it devices that aren't on these machines for skimming, or maybe a combination of all of those? Well, the easy answer is it's a combination of all of those. But, you know, off-premise means a variety of locations, many of which are not monitored as closely as drive-up or walk-up ATMs on financial institution properties. The security associated with an ATM on an on-premise typically detracts the criminals. Most financial institutions owned off-premise ATMs run the same software that they do in the on-premise. So I really don't think that it's that significant in terms of the software. 
And then before we close, Chuck, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're preparing to retire from Diebold. As you look back and you look forward, what final predictions or advice would you like to offer our audience about the ATM fraud trends that you see? Thank you for asking me that question. My first words of advice would be to stay vigilant. My tenure within the ATM security space has taught me several very important lessons. Criminals are professional, and they take their profession seriously. Forming a specific attack through vulnerability mitigation only forces criminals to invest in another way, using the money that they've already stolen to fund their innovation. And get aligned and share information. Criminal attacks occurring down the street, across the country, or across the ocean today can occur in your business tomorrow. The speed with which information and tools are shared is astounding. This is an industry at war with criminals, financial institutions, and service providers who compete vigorously for customer share, wallet share, market share, must learn that this cannot be a point of competition. The only competitor with respect to security is the criminal. And then finally, leverage vendors, government agencies, FBI Secret Service, local and state police, and your own security professionals to educate, inform, and to help your strategic investments to protect your consumer's information and your assets. Chuck, I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. Thank you very much. Again, we've just heard from Chuck Summers of Diebold. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.